Well, praise the Lord this morning. And we had a, we're, we're actually doing a, a series, it's a three-part series on the Christmas gifts, where you should, the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus, um, what they presented to him, those three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're on the last uh, part of our series. We looked at gold representing the divine work that God, well, that was done in Jesus and through him, and but also the work he wants to do in our lives as well. Then last week we looked at frankincense. It speaks of the gift of faith and faith operating in our lives. You know, God wants to give us faith as a substance within us. Um, you know what? I was just kind of considering that thought of faith and really in, in light of these three gifts, it's kind of like the linchpin. It, it like joins both of them because, you know, we, are, we already saw it in gold because Peter talks about gold being tried in the fire and it's precious like faith. You know, God, the trial of our faith, faith being more precious than gold, you know, that God wants to work his faith within us. And we're going to see how it ties into myrrh as well. But these spices are, are uh, closely linked. We, we looked at um, how they both come from, uh, well, frankincense and myrrh both come from different types of trees. And you pierce the tree and the, the sap runs out and then it dries and it's harvested as, as these spices and we actually have some samples in a little box if you want to see what frankincense and myrrh smells like. They smell pretty good. Uh, but, um, you know, we can see how they relate to one another, frankincense and myrrh, uh, in the Song of Solomon. In fact, there's, there's two times it talks about um, uh, people coming out of the wilderness. And the first time it talks about Christ as the bridegroom coming out of the wilderness. And this is what it says in Song of Solomon 3 and verse 6. It says, Who is this that comes out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? These two spices, you know, the bridegroom represents Christ. And here is the, two of the gifts that the wise men gave to him. And it, and it describes him coming out of the wilderness perfumed with these uh, fragrances. And we you know, frankincense representing faith as one of them. And so, you know, Christ as the bridegroom, he received these gifts, but he also became these gifts. Speaking of the beautiful qualities that he displayed in his life, you know, faith and meekness and love and, and righteousness and so forth. They come from, they come forth from him like a beautiful perfume. And he wants that to happen in our lives as well. But there's another mention there's a second mention of him coming out of the wilderness and this time it's the bride and this is in song of solomon 8 and verse 5 it says who is this that comes up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved and so now it's the bride coming out of the wilderness and she's leaning upon her beloved and you know so she's he's coming up with myrrh and frankincense and she's leaning upon him now, usually I think of this the other way around, you know, my, my wife will wear some nice fragrances. And if I get close to her, sometimes I smell like those nice fragrances, but here it's the other way around. When we lean upon the Lord, we take those fragrances upon ourselves, you know, and that's, that's his work done in our lives that he desires to do. And if we allow those fragrances to be worked in us, 
you know, they'll bring us out of the wilderness and, you know, they, as we lean and rely upon Jesus. One of those is faith, a life of faith. Right, we looked at faith comes from hearing a word of God. And so we hear his little words, his still small voice, and we allow him to lead us and guide us. You know, faith will move mountains if we allow that seed of faith to operate in our lives. It takes us from the littlest of plants and turns us into mighty trees in his garden. And so we've seen that faith is vitally important, but what about myrrh? What does myrrh represent to us? Well, we looked last week at, or the week before when we started it, one of the, one of the time, no, last week because we were talking about uh, frankincense, but when you were compare the Song of Solomon chapter four and the plants found in that, in that portion, and then you relate it to the fruits of the spirit and Galatians chapter five, we see that myrrh represents meekness. The, the concept or the fruit of meekness. You know, of all of the heavenly qualities that it talks about Jesus uh, being like, I, I think meekness really summarizes what he is like. In fact, he described himself in that way. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I like that verse, those verses. That's the work of God in us, and that work is because of his meekness, because he is meek and lowly. And, you know, I think we can remember the Christmas season as we are. Um, Christ was born as the King of Kings, right? But yet he was born in a manger. And he's coming again as the Lion of Judah, but he came the first time as the Lamb. He is meek. He is lowly. And so the great King of Kings has invited us to come unto him and take a part of himself upon us, you know, his easy and light yoke, as he talks about in Matthew 11. But the part that he wants us to know and receive from him of what he is like is that declaration, I am meek and lowly in heart. He wants us to know him in that way because that's who he is. And that's how he wants to meet us. And so what is meekness? Well, the Greek word for, that's used in the New Testament for meekness is the Greek word prowess. I'm probably butchering that. Prowess, I don't speak Greek. But it, the, the general meaning is it means mild. It means mild. But how it was used often in, in Greek writings at that time was it was often used to describe animals that had been tamed. And so an animal that was tamed was considered prowess or meek. Now, sometimes we can think, you know, the Bible talks about we're supposed to be meek and stuff, but doesn't that mean we're supposed to be weak too? Like we're just kind of weaklings because we're meek. But when you consider an, what's a common animal that's, that's tamed, you think of a horse, right? A horse that's been tamed and it's allowed a rider to come on it. There's nothing weak about a horse. If you've been around horses, they're kind of intimidating. It's when you stand next to them, you see all the power that they have. And then someone can take these little pieces of leather and tell it where to go. But it's because it has been, become meek. It's been tamed. Now, when we're meek, 
It's not that we've become weak in that sense, but we've become submitted to the leading and to the working of our master, of Jesus, to his direction. And we could become useful to him. You know, when you think of a horse that hasn't been, you know, we, well, it's the term is used as broken, but I don't know if that's a great term, but, you know, tamed in that sense. They're not good for much, are they? They look nice in the corral, but you can't really use them for anything because they're, they're not meek. I wonder how many believers there are that Jesus is looking down saying, boy, I wish I could use them. I wish, you know, they, but they need that work done in their lives. Lord, help us to allow him to work his meekness in us. But, you know, when that ability is found, you know, as, as the scriptures say, a meek and quiet spirit is of great value, of great price to the Lord. And one of the greatest things we celebrate about Christ, you know, is of him coming to earth is the resurrection. He's not dead but he lives. And we, we celebrate that. He's ascended to heaven where he ever lives to intercede for us. But how did he rise up in the resurrection? It was because he first descended, right? He first went down for us. He submitted to the will of his father. His whole life was one of meekness, of strength submitted to his father. There's no limit to what Christ can do through us, when we are submitted to him. Because it's not our strength that really matters. When we're submitted, then he can give us his strength and nothing is impossible. We can say to this mountain, be removed. That's because we have frankincense and myrrh, faith and meekness operating in our lives. You know, they go hand in hand in a sense. How often have we... Have we sensed a word from the Lord and we can receive faith, but we don't have the meekness to say, okay, Lord, I'll receive it and I'll, I'll walk in it. That's why we, we so desperately need both of them to submit ourselves. I mean, it's a light and an easy yoke, as he said in Matthew 11, but yet we need meekness to accept it and receive it. However, we acknowledge that sometimes the Lord says it's easy and light and I'm not speaking against that, but sometimes to us it feels kind of restricting. It feels heavy, at least at first. Sometimes that little word as a mustard seed can still seem quite large to us. And we have to cry out to God, Lord, give me meekness to accept and allow this word to produce life in me. There's another verse in the Song of Solomon we can look at concerning this or regarding this. And in chapter five, there's a, a part where the bridegroom appears at the door of the bride. You know, she's in there. Uh, she's all, it talks, kind of describes how she's all warm and cozy in her house and she's ready to settle down for the night. She's just cleansed herself. But then the bridegroom comes and he calls at her door, beckoning her to come out with him into the night. And at first she hesitates. She's, how can I go outside? I'm I'm all nice and, you know, good where I am. I'm washed myself. How can I go out now? And the bride, and then it says the bridegroom reaches out to her and her heart responds. And, and in Song of Solomon 5, 4, it says, My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door. My heart yearned for him. 
I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. And so the Shulamite finally resp- responds after a delay. Right? So there was a little delay there. And how often have we delayed and when the Lord's calling us? But yet she finally responded. She had that struggle when she heard the beckoning of her beloved. And, you know, sometimes his beckoning can be stretching to us when he asks us to do something that we're, we're not used to or we're not ready to do. You know, maybe it's to, to share something with someone or to witness, to give a prophecy in church, to obey the prompting of the Spirit for something in our lives to go in a new way. How do we, how do, we do it? But I think verse 5 kind of gives us the key in responding. How did the Shulamite respond as she said, or it says of her, my hands dripped with myrrh. It was just the meekness of Christ that allowed her to respond and go out. And she went out into the night. Now, she didn't have an easy time because, you know, the, the, the bridegroom, it talks about how he went off and, and left her because she didn't respond and she had to go through the night for a season and learn some lessons. That's a study in itself. But yet she was able to go out there because her hands dripped with meekness, with myrrh. You know, God often operates in this way in our lives, you know, because a lot of the times his word is challenging to us. His word is stretching. His word wants to stretch, as it says in in Isaiah, stretch forth our our curtains and our tents and enlarge us. Well, the enlargement process is not always fun, but yet God brings new life through it. You know, sometimes things can be going so well and fine at one point, then it's, it's as if out of the blue, God's asking us to do something or asking something of us or to go through something. And I was just thinking of Queen Esther. She was doing so well at one point. When you consider her life, God chose her, made her queen. She had a, you know, her palace and servants and everything was going so well till one day she saw her uncle Mordecai out mourning outside the gate. And he told her what was happening, that, that wicked Haman was planning to kill the Jews and then Mordecai said some, laid something on her she wasn't ready for. You need to go in to the court of the king and ask him for the life of your people. Now that caused her to pause for a second. Because when you read the story of Esther, you realize that anyone who went into the court uninvited would be instantly put to death unless the king stretched forth his scepter. That, and so she had to she had to, she, there was a struggle with that. And she told Haman, all right, everyone can pray for, you know, we're going to fast and pray. And then we'll see what happens. But, you know, she faced that and her response, I think, was, is so precious and something that can speak to us. She said, if I perish, I perish. We know the story. She goes into the king's court. The king holds out the scepter and she invites him to a feast. And at the feast, she asks for the life of her people. But she had to respond to that call, didn't she? She, and that required great meekness to submit to God's plan for her life. And we know it was a plan, 
Right, we're going to re- read about that in, in a verse here in a moment. But, you know, she had to respond to that, to God's plan, and follow the exact steps in a very difficult situ- situation. Yet that's what she's known for today. That's what we know about Esther. And if you ask someone about Esther, oh, she, she saved the life of her people because she went into the presence of the king. That will define her for all eternity. Also, because of her uncle Mordecai's words to her. That's something that I I often think about with Esther. Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. Now, this is when she was a little, you know, she was wondering, what should we do? What should I do? And so Mordecai was encouraging her slash warning her. And he said, for if you hold your peace at this time, meaning if you don't respond in meekness, Then shall enlargement and deliverance arise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house shall be destroyed. But who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That was what it was really about with Esther. She was raised up for that specific time, that specific place, that specific purpose to place her will and her life in God's hands and allow God to work through her. And God used that as the message for her life. But, you know, in reality, though the situation is different for each one of us, you know, maybe it's not so pronounced and dire that our life depends on it, but, you know, maybe our spiritual life does, where where the message of our life is, well, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, to do the will of, of the Father in the plan that He's given for each of us. You know, and but in reality, that's to be our endeavor day by day. Okay, today is the day that God's appointed me for such a time as this. I've been brought into the kingdom. I've been brought to wherever we live. For us, it's here in Clearwater, Florida. For some of the visitors, it's Michigan or wherever, for such a time as this. And who knows what salvation God will work in us and through us for others as maybe they see what God's doing in us. I just want to touch on one one last thought here regarding meekness. It's something we mentioned in our, covered in our Bible study. But, you know, we've often read about the admonition about the last days. Pastor Bailey used to always kind of preach on on this verse from Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, you that have, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, and it may be that you'll be hidden in the day of God's anger. And so these two qualities, righteousness and meekness, can cause us to be hidden in the time of judgment. We know there's judgment coming upon all the earth, as the Bible describes. And so, boy, do we need righteousness and meekness to be hidden. But I want to to read a quote by Dr. Bailey from one of his books. And he said this, it it surprised me when I read it, but it makes sense. He said, it's easier to be righteous than it is to be meek. Because if your character is straight and upright, you're going to find out, well, what's the right thing to do? And then you're going to do it because you want to do what's right. But meekness is not in the nature of man, particularly us men, you know, we sometimes, because it involves curtailing our nature, which normally likes to dominate, react to situations. 
right? We can be very reactionary to what we think is right. If we think something's right, we'll do it. And that's how we react to it. And our, in our nature, you know, we, it's to fight for what we think is right. We want to defend the truth and we act, react that way. But when you think about Jesus, he was a lamb. He always did what's right, but yet he was a lamb that opened not his mouth. When he was provoked, when people spoke evil of him, unrighteous words and so forth, instead he just shared the truth in love. Pastor Bailey also said this. He said, meekness is not just choosing not to react when we're provoked by people. Let me read that again. Like, I had to read that a couple of times. Meekness is not just choosing not to react. Right? It's not just biting your tongue, but it also deals with how we speak, what we say, how we react to people. Sometimes when you're dealing with a difficult person, you, you kind of feel like there's only two options, right? First option, tell them the truth, which is usually how wrong they are, right? <laughs> how they need to change and right, what, what they're doing wrong. And then the second option, if we feel like that's going to be too extreme and they're, they're just going to get mad, then we bite our tongue and say nothing. Right? But meekness sometimes is the third option, and it's speaking as Jesus spoke. There's a description of the bridegroom in Song of Solomon 5.16. It says this, His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he's altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. His mouth is most sweet. He's altogether lovely. When you are going through a trial, have you ever noticed what happens to your sweetness level? Does it go up or does it go down? I can speak that from experience, unfortunately, that sometimes mine goes down, right? And sometimes your words can tend to have more of a bite to them, right? We have that expression, your head, bit, get your head getting bitten off. Um, you know, sometimes you can be tempted to do that. But God wants to remedy that through meekness. It's a divine aspect. And I'm not, of course, I'm not talking about something where we just be nice. This is something that's from heaven. It's a part of the divine character of Christ that we have to ask for and cry out for, Lord, give me your meekness to relate rightly to you and relate rightly to others. But, you know, meekness is related to this thought of sweetness how we relate to other people. I was just surveying some of the, the words of Jesus on the cross. This, I'll close with this thought here. But, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, all people did was mock him. They just said terrible things about him. Come down off that cross if you're that powerful, if you're really the son of God. At one point, even the two thieves next to him who are being crucified themselves, it says they cast the same in his teeth. But what did Jesus say? What came out of his mouth? Well, I'll just consider these three, three things he said. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were mocking him, but he expressed concern for their eternity. Then to one of the other thieves, once he realized who Christ was, in Luke 23, 43, he says, Jesus said to him, truly to this, in this day, you will be with me in paradise. He gave at, at his worst and most difficult moment, he gave opportunity for repentance for 
for the one who was crucified with him. Then one last thought. This is in John 19, verse 26. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here's your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. One of the last things Jesus did on this earth was to was a concern for his mother and care, and put him into the care of, of that apostle there, a disciple. And so here is the ultimate picture of Christ. The mo- probably the most bitter experience in human history because he was not just being crucified, but he had the weight of our sin upon him. And his words were only sweet. And that's why he wants to be known as the one who is meek and lowly of heart. And if we'll come to him, he'll give rest to our souls because that's who he is. And you know what? That's what we need to be hidden. Isn't that kind of an amazing thought? If we need meekness, that means we have to walk in the way of Christ. You know, we need that meekness to accept our situations as from God, but it goes further than that in the example of Christ, not just accepting the situation, but flowing in his sweetness. And that's the ultimate example. You know, everyone, everyone really, when it comes down to it, what we really desire from someone else is a sweet response when we come to them. That's, that's what people desire. And that's what Christ gave as the example for us, even to his enemies. You know, we know what he said to us on the Sermon on the Mount, love our enemies. But doesn't that give you kind of a new picture of being hidden in the last days? Lord, I need your meekness. <laughs> I need it a lot more than I have now because my sweetness level is it's still going down. And I need that to go up, Lord. And so we have these wonderful picture of these three gifts that the wise men gave to the Lord of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were kingly gifts. Each of them was very valuable, even monetarily but they represent what Jesus was really like and how he gave himself to us. But also they represent how we can become like him and we can give ourselves to him as we become a living sacrifice as gold, allowing his nature to be worked within us. Frankincense, living that life of faith, responding by faith, even when we're tried in the fire and myrrh receiving that easy and light yoke of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight of great value. Because we've developed his spirit and his response in each situation. And because we've come out of the wilderness leaning upon our beloved. Father, we just thank you for giving us the gift of your son. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for how you walked upon this earth and the example you set for us. And Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord, as you came as a, as a gift for us. There's so many things, Lord, we can see that you gave to us, not just of salvation, but of, Lord, of faith, Lord, of meekness, oh God, of righteousness. Lord, we pray that we might receive these gifts and, Lord, that you would work within our lives and our hearts and you'd transform us. Lord, even for meekness, we we want to be hidden in this day, in the days to come. Lord, we pray for your meekness to be worked and developed in our lives, Lord. And we cry out to you, Lord, give us your meekness. 
Lord, cause these gifts to be developed within us, we ask. Lord, and we just thank you. We give you all the praise and honor and glory because you are our King of kings and Lord of lords. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.